Thursday night, Knicks are off. They are, um, well, they're in L.A. They've been in L.A., I believe, since uh, for a couple of days now. They, they flew out right from Denver. Um, and we have a very special guest on the line with us to talk about um, not only the Lakers, the Knicks opponent on Friday night, um, but also some other interesting stuff. But before we introduce that guest, of course, my partner in crime, is on the line with me, and that is none other than JB. JB, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Well, better than last time we were together. We were watching that Utah game. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I didn't even I don't even think we responded to it, but I'm pretty sure posting and toasting commented on the uh, the post game Periscope that like this is the game you guys picked. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Of all of all the games. Um, but uh, so, yeah, why don't we introduce our guest? Um, so uh, if you are on Twitter and you are a fan of just NBA basketball, I'm sure you have come across this person. Um, you know him on Twitter as Laker Film Room, um, but we're going to welcome aboard uh, Pete Zayas. Uh Pete, how you doing, man? Doing very well. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Yeah, no, of course. Thank you for, for coming on. So um, I know... You and JB go way back. I've been following your your account on Twitter for a while. I'm obviously a huge fan of what you do. Um, but I, I, as Jeff was telling me about that we were going to have you on, the first thought I had was like, wow, how much has this guy's life changed since July? <laughs> since July uh, what was it? July second, uh, third? When did when did the news come out? I forget. Yeah. So what was funny is that I, I had a bit of a an interesting experience before that. And I had kind of accidentally <laughs> reported that, you know, I had heard from different friends that I have in the entertainment industry that LeBron was hundred percent coming to the Lakers. Oh, and, that's right. That's and right. I'm, I'm not a newsbreaker at all. That's not, and that is not my lane. It was just like, Hey, this is something that I've heard. I said it as a guest appearance on a pod. And then like the next day it totally blew up. And then, so like, that whole experience from you know, what that was probably April or something like that through LeBron actually signing and then up to now it's it's definitely a different animal in Lakerland. The you know expectations for obvious reasons have accelerated and it's definitely been an interesting ride. Yeah, no, I mean I I can't imagine it's like because you one minute you're steeped in film work and then I got you know I don't know well why don't I, I I'm gonna ask you how would you describe how your job has changed or, or maybe it hasn't. I mean, how would you put it? Uh, not, not a ton. It's interesting being around a guy like LeBron on a regular basis from covering practices and shoot arounds and going to Laker games and all of that, because the, the stakes certainly feel higher. There are a lot more national people around on a daily basis. You know, last year it was, and you know, pr pretty, you can get good seats uh, in on media row. And, and now there's a little more competition for that. But one of the things, one of the things that I've noticed is just the attention to every little detail. There's everything is just blown up 
out of proportion, both the good and the bad, you know, when the Lakers win. And I'm a Laker fan myself. I don't pretend to be objective media, but, you know, it's, oh, see, we, we're beating our chests and we're going to the conference finals. And then, you know, they lose LeBron for a couple games and they lose a couple games themselves. And it's like, crap, are we going to make the playoffs? So it's just, we're just absolutely insane and up in our emotions right now. So that's probably the biggest difference from last year, even more than normal. Right, right. So I guess I, I wanted to maybe take it uh, away from LeBron in the game for a second to talk to you, Pete, about uh, sort of what we do. That or, I mean, there's not a lot of people I can talk to that runs, a, I guess, a somewhat similar account to, to the one with Nick's film school. And I, I've said it many times before you know, one of my big inspirations was really you. And I know we talked very early on when I was first starting things off and you were always kind and kind of, you know, helping me out. And for a little bit, we we're even talking about doing some Lakers stuff together, funny enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I'm, I'm just interested because I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this or ask you about this, but just like what your process is in terms of you know, okay, I'm I'm watching a, a, a Knicks game and, you know, I, I'm not watching from the arena. I'm watching from home, which gives me the ability that when I'm watching a game, I can actually watch, you know, multiple video feeds at once, even during the game. So I can see a lot of stuff then and then try to comment on it. And then obviously after the game, you know, make the videos like I do. So I'm just, I guess I just want to peel back the curtain a bit and kind of understand what's your process because, you, you know, you're a little different than me in the sense you are at the arena now um, and you don't do as much, I guess, as, of the live video. You're more of the videos you'll put on YouTube afterwards. But how, just kind of walk me through how, you know, how it, how it unfolds from, you know, watching the game to making one of the videos that you make. So first off, JB, and you know I say this privately. This is not me buttering you up on a podcast. You do great work, and I'm always going to support the stuff that you do because you're very thoughtful and very thorough in how you cover your team. And I I want kind of what you and I do to grow. I think there's more space for that. I think there could totally be 10 Laker film rooms just covering the Lakers because I can never get to every story that I want to get to because the process is so thorough, right? And right. and you do that with the Knicks, and I, I love it. And I'll you know, support you as much as I can with that. Um, Thank you. In in terms of my process, uh, I that's probably what I'm proudest of in this whole thing is that I feel like I've I've been able to develop a system that helps take out a lot of my biases. They're always going to be there, but I'm I'm constantly fighting against and and part of what I think helps is my acknowledgement that yes, I am a Laker fan. So let's be honest about that and let's start from that point and that I'm going to see the best in the guys that I'm rooting for. How do I produce intellectually honest content. And so what I'll do is I will try to identify the three or four storylines from a game. And there are, there will be some storylines that are over the course of five games or, or 10 games or half the season, but I'll try to identify those. And then I try to put those play types together. So for example, say uh, Lonzo Ball's finishing at the rim is a big topic in Lakerland. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put all of Lonzo Ball's shot attempts at the rim next to each other because you don't see the patterns emerge unless you see clip after clip after clip next to each other. And then it's like, oh, this dude can't finish with his right hand. And I, right. I don't, you know, I don't see that in live action. But the process of doing that and putting like things by like things and sorting and subsorting and subsorting, it makes it to the point where 
I don't think I have any preternatural God's gift basketball ability to identify things. It's just like, oh, I just saw the same thing 10 times and he did this in seven of them. And now the pattern started to emerge that I would have never caught in live uh, process. So that that's one little part of it. But but that's that's part of my process. Interesting, because I think that we're similar about is we are not shy about saying that we are fans, right? Yeah. So I think most people that, you know, you start out writing for a blog and usually you're going to blog about your favorite team. But then as you become more popular and you try to take it on almost like a profession, you you, you want to, like you say, strip away that, that bias uh, perception. So then you, you, most people will stop admitting they're a fan. And I, I think I respect that you do it maybe because I do it too. So I'm just going to like what, you know, if someone does something similar, but we're saying, no, like we are fans, we root for the team, but it doesn't mean that we can't still, like you said, you know, it it really does become a lot like pattern recognition, you you know, going through and seeing things and maybe, maybe we frame it sometimes a little more positive than, you know, I guess if we were a beat reporter or something, but um, you know, I, I definitely enjoy that you stick to the fact that you're a Laker fan. You're not going to take that away from you. And I, I and I imagine the people you know who are Laker fans appreciate you even more for doing that. You, you know, JB, part of what comes in handy for me is some high school coaching experience. And I didn't coach on a crazy high level or anything like that. But the whole thing about being a coach, especially on the high school level, is like, I love you kids, I'm rooting for you, and I'm going to be telling you all year long what you're doing wrong and how you, how you can do it better. And so I think that fans recognize that, like, I'm rooting for the Lakers' success, and they're able to accept criticism of those guys from me because they know it's not coming from a I hope you fail type of place. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and I guess I probably should have led with this, but another thing I was interested about is how about, I don't think I ever even realized in, a, in us talking privately where, how you went from sort of coaching, like you said, high school level, being a Laker fan, to where Laker Film Room actually became, you know, came into existence. Like, what, what was it that sort of started everything off for you? All right, I'll try not to rant too much about this, but uh, I, I coached high school ball and I left it um, to open a business with my now ex-girlfriend where I ran the business and she took, she's a psychologist. So she saw the patients, I took care of everything else. But I, I really miss basketball within all of that. So I really started Laker Film Room just as for my own amusement to scratch a basketball ish that I was really missing. And I just kind of put it out there and I still try to maintain that same ethos of like not, making content for the purpose of likes and retweets and views and all of that. But something that I like, I really believe this is a relevant storyline to the Lakers season and I want to share it with you. And if it gets a hundred thousand views, cool. If it gets 5,000 views, that's fine too. It's something that I believe in. And I want that above all things to shine through in in what I'm doing. So really I have accidentally, accidentally stumbled into this whole thing where now I can make a living off of it. And that was never the intention, but I'm, I'm very lucky. So I, I want to pick up on something you just said, because I, I find it this discussion about like um, objectivity versus, um, you know, kind of showing a rooting interest um, for your team as you're, as you're doing analysis. Cause like, so you mentioned Lonzo Ball over here. We have Frank um, Nilakina, and right. I'm, I'm the self-proclaimed uh, captain of, of his fan club. And I, you know, I, I comment on, you know, it's like watch a game afterwards, comment on it, write a piece, whatever. And 
I'm upfront with the fact that I give the benefit of the doubt, but I tend to justify it to myself because I'm like, well, we see the kid in interviews. Clearly, he's a good kid. All the reports are, you know, he's a he's a hard worker. Um, you know, it's like you you see the signs of like the positivity, but at the same time, I I don't know. You know, is there like I asked myself, is there a way that I could be checking my biases more? Am I not presenting things in a way that's helpful to the fans that are following me or reading me or whatever? Do you ever have those kind of conversations with yourself? A hundred percent. And what it helps me is actually having conversations with other people. I've always been a I've been posting on message boards and Reddit and places like that for 15 years, you know, and ever since that became a thing, that was my way to get out my Laker love online and talk with other Laker fans. And in my experience, relative to the production of content, the people that have the criticisms of your guy they're they're right just as you are like multiple things can be true at the same time and we have such a hard time with nuance and with the middle ground where either like we see it all the time on so and so is trash so and so is garbage right like <laughs> right they're they're not man don't, you, don't NBA, you love right? that isn't that uh, great when you get that it's just the worst man and and so <laughs> i i try to listen though to the people that hey this is because they're going to be people who they're not as big of a fan and they're not going to give that benefit of the doubt. I use that phrase all the time to myself is who am I giving the benefit of the doubt to? So, for example, I'm really high on Lonzo relative to other Laker people, and I'm not as high on Brandon Ingram as a lot of other Lakers people are. And I feel it and I see it in myself of like when Ingram screws up, I'm like, yep, see, I told you I was right. <laughs> it all goes back to the need for us to be right. Right. right and right. and so like just the acknowledgement of that in the first place is helpful and listening to the other the people who are higher on him like genuinely listen to what they have to say so i i do listen to myself but i also try to identify those other people that i respect and and find like where can reasonable minds disagree and then really listen to them and then can i see what they see even if i don't necessarily agree well it's funny because i always feel like i wish i could just put like an asterisk that link to a disclaimer for every tweet I make about Frank Nielakina because <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't know if you see it as much not being in, you know, the Knicks world, but you know, he has a very polarizing reception from Knicks fans. Either they think he's gonna be great or they think gonna be terrible. It seems like there's not a lot in between, even though again it's probably somewhere in between that he might fall. But it's like, you know, you say one bad thing and you got people, you know, commenting right away about like, oh, well, you know, he's only this years old or he's, yep. you know, the team's not using him right. And you, and you want to say, look, we only have 280 characters. I know all those things are true. But then now I'm saying this. And and that's where, like, you know, when you said about the nuance, it, it, it gets tricky because sometimes you do just want to make a statement like this player looks bad at doing this. But you hope people remember that you've also stated in the past all these other things that add context to that. You just can't always add all that context every single time that you say something. And, and I guess that's what's this kind of modern media that, that we get in. A hundred percent. And I try to avoid statements of this guy is this, especially with young guys, because what they are can change, you know, in a relatively short period of time. But I think that people will are more willing to listen to he is struggling with this in this game. Right. And or over the course of this season, like. I can say Lonzo Ball is a bad free throw shooter. Dude's shooting 45% from the line, right? But most things are in that 
I mean, heck, Brandon Ingram can be a good mid-range shooter or he can be a bad one. It depends on on the game. And, and like where the truth is, is somewhere in between. And in 280 characters, you just you can't do it, man. So I'm I'm happy you brought up ball because I, I think it's <laughs> I think it's so fascinating that you know the two um, I guess I mean obviously you guys have uh, quite a few more championships but like the two you know uh, biggest cities in in the country two preeminent teams in a lot of ways obviously even though the Knicks haven't won a lot have these two point guards who are I think you could argue they're two of the five most divisive. Um, players in the league in terms of how the their own fan bases think of them um and i actually like last week i wrote an article on lonzo ball for um, the step back which i occasionally do pieces for and i just trying to dive into the numbers and like make the case for and against him and you know obviously you brought up the free throw shooting you you brought up um you know, I guess his finishing at the rim. I saw you posted something even on your Twitter feed about how his hand releases off the ball, right. uh, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, what What is your, because I think this will be instructive for Frank fans, what is at this point your biggest worry with ball? And uh, conversely, what is your biggest reason for hope with him? So my biggest worry probably comes from being around him. This might not be something that I would pick up as much on on TV, but he is a young 21-year-old from the stance of maturity. Now, he's not a kid that's like goofing around all the time or anything like that, but he can – he can crumble when things get hard, and that's something that in the NBA – like it's a bunch of killers every single night, especially at that point guard position. There's somebody who's going to come at you. And Lonzo's a guy that he, you know, he, he's shooting, I think 31 or 32% from three, but he never shoots that he's either shooting like 12% or he's shooting like mid forties. He's, he's like one extreme or another. And then that's going to average out somewhere in between, but he rarely has like, okay games. He's either awful or he's great. And, that a lot of that comes from him kind of folding in those circumstances and the Lakers signing LeBron really accelerated the timeline for the young guys development where it's like okay you know you've got a now 34 year old LeBron James you're looking to compete for a title in the next two years right they know they don't have the horses this year but the goal is to sign someone this offseason and be ready to make a run at it next year now that puts a guy like Lonzo on a much more accelerated timeline that I don't know if he's going to be ready for that, especially when you see kind of how he deals with adversity in terms of my hope for him. uh, All of the things that he does poorly with the exception of the, how he handles adversity are fairly simple things. Like he's, he's awful at making layups with his right hand. How many NBA players can you say that about? Right? Like that's something (laughs) you learn when you're 10 years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So an optimist point of view is like, well, hey, it's pretty easy. He can learn that and learn how to – he doesn't know any of like the conventional point guard techniques. He doesn't – all of the stuff that's really great about him is his feel and his instincts, all those things you can't teach. So the optimist point of view is like, hey, we can teach these things. The flip side of that is like, well, if it was so easy, why doesn't he know how to do it yet, right? And so that's – you know, it, it's this dichotomy that I wrestle with. I, I will say this. I have never – watched a player like Lonzo Ball before. That's a good thing. That's a bad thing. But <laughs> I have never seen anybody quite like him. And so he's a really difficult guy to evaluate. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny as as you're talking about the speeding up sort of the, the time frame here with, with LeBron signing, I think, you know, the Lakers, both where they were last season 
where they are now is a place where I think the Knicks hope that they are um, and are looking to be, right? Where they're a team that has a lot of young pieces. They're hoping that this summer they add a, you know, a free agent to those young pieces. And I think one of the big questions that Knicks fans have is, well, let's say they do that. Let's say they somehow did attract, you know, a Kevin Durant or someone of that nature. You know, what does that mean to the young pieces? Because a lot of these guys, you know, Kevin Knox was named rookie of the month uh, just today. And he's, you know, as Knicks fans, we haven't had a lot of draft picks that we've seen develop. So it's exciting to actually have guys that you can root for. You're not chasing others. But I mean, I guess you just alluded to it already. But do you feel like it really just does change everything once you sign that that player who's going to be looking to win now where like it, it's not just development time it's you're now looking to probably add another star and which might cost you some of these pieces is that how you feel like the lakers are are sort of looking at it now or do you think do you think it's possible that they see that they could continue to develop some of these young players and more use free agency route to um you know, rather than maybe trading or, or 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 speeding up by moving a player to add someone. I mean, I guess I'm just trying to juxtapose with where, like I said, the Knicks are and where you see the Lakers are now since you're sort of a step ahead of where we, we hope to be. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an interesting question that really speaks to the heart of what I think a lot of Laker fans are dealing with right now in that um, – for four or five years, that was, you know, the Lakers wanted to tank. The We were rooting for losses so that, you know, for the better uh, for the better health of the franchise long term, the picks only had a top three protection on them, and the Lakers were able to keep them for all of those years. So it was, you know, high stakes. They either had a top three pick or they didn't have a pick at all. And what that developed was this real deep investment in the fan base in the young guys, Brandon Ingram, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Lonzo Ball, all the Kuzma, Josh Hart, all these kids, because that was the only thing we had to look forward to. And all of this misery of watching these bad teams and, and <laughs> rooting for your own damn team to lose. And like, this is with the payoff. And so now with signing LeBron James, the development of those guys is no longer the number one priority of the organization. Like for, for you guys right now, Kevin Knox being awesome, Mitchell Robinson blocking 300 jump shots like a madman, you know, like that's Alonzo Trier coming out of nowhere. Like those are probably, I'm, I'm guessing, especially with Porzingis out, those are the best experiences of a Nick fan right now is to see those things in that development. Right. And 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 it's funny because like he's with the payback for the misery, I think that's as a fan, that's the most difficult part is that and especially, you know, doing what me and you do, where we spend so much time looking at the film, you just want to believe that all this time you invested analyzing every <laughs> little piece of these guys, right? That you're going to actually see the reward, not that we're contributing to the reward, but the fact is you're going to like see that progression. It's like watching a TV series for, you know, three seasons out of seven. And then, you know, that character that you you fell in love with is all of a sudden just no longer part of the plot. And it's like, you know, you want the team to win first and foremost. But it is that interesting dynamic where it's like, yeah, you want them to win, but you also don't want to say that all that time in the past is just kind of meaningless. Even though, again, it's not meaningless if you can use guys to acquire the guys that make you better. But it, it is just a funny thing to think about. 
you know, one of my favorite Lakers teams uh, were those mid-90s teams with Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones, Cedric Sabalos, those guys. Those were really fun teams getting to the first, second round of the playoffs, right? And the Lakers signed Shaq in 96. And the reality is all those guys that I loved during my teenage years, and I was a lefty point guard that wanted to be just like Nick Van Exel, all those <laughs> dudes, not a single one of them were on the championship teams when that came around. And so it's a little easier for me having had my heart broken as a young man to see my guys go and then seeing Kobe grow up and Shaq and them winning titles and all that. There was a payoff for sure. But I certainly understand the whole investment, the emotional investment that you have within that. So speaking of what lies in the the near future for uh, for the Lakers, obviously, um, I mean, the news was already uh, or the AD clouds were already forming and then he went over and and signed with Clutch. And I think that maybe kicked things into high gear. And and now um, what I think the Pelicans have a 15 and 20 record or whereabouts, something along those lines. So it's like these these things keep building up um, with Anthony Davis. And that's kind of looming uh, i'm curious because I, you know i think over over in nick's land we have this this feeling like okay um if kevin durant decides to come that's great if not uh you know it's fine still got the 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 youth here to continue to try to maybe build incrementally and and it, there's not this like pressing date that like anything needs to happen by I'm curious how what's the feeling over there is there is that like AD is it like a cloud that's that's looming over uh that it it's going to happen and just when is it going to happen how is it going to happen via free agency via trade like what's the feeling there with him Uh I, I do think that that I wouldn't say it's a cloud that's looming because I think the origination of that is having a 34-year-old LeBron James and not knowing how long he's going to be at the level that he's at, you know, and and so the clock is certainly ticking for the Lakers in a way that it's probably not the same for the Knicks. There's no reason to have urgency right away, whereas the Lakers went from that fun, plucky team that, you know, won 35 games last year to, oh, crap, we need to try and win titles as soon as possible overnight with the signing of LeBron James. Uh, I, I do think, as a Laker fan, the the biggest in, sign of encouragement that I take is him is Anthony Davis signing with Clutch and Rich Paul. You don't do that unless you're trying to make a move. Like, AD didn't do that to sign the same Supermax contract that he would have been able to sign with his other agent, right? It's done with the idea, like, get me to where I want to be. Now, is that the Lakers? I don't know. But I do think that this is a year that is a that is essentially a long tryout for the members of the young Lakers core of who fits alongside LeBron and who doesn't. And then over the course of the summer, the guys who don't but still have talent and may fit better elsewhere, they're going to get shipped out. Yeah, and I, I just happened to notice today, obviously, the, the voting totals came out for um, the All-Star teams, and there's Anthony Davis sitting there fourth uh, among front, among Frankfurt players in the West, and I'm thinking to myself, man, if you're Anthony Davis and you're sitting there and you're looking <laughs> and being like, what the hell else do I have to do? <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, I have to think that that bodes well for you guys, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, put him here or in New York and Anthony Davis, like there's there's probably the greatest distance between the star factor of Anthony Davis in terms of commercials and just like his how how ubiquitous he is throughout American culture and how good he is as a player more than any other superstar. I Completely feel like everybody agree. else 
they get the amount of shine that they deserve, and, and AD just doesn't. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I guess one last uh, one for me is, you know, to, we're putting this out tomorrow morning for Knicks fans who might not, you know, might see the Lakers, might not. I mean, one thing I guess a lot of East Coast people are complaining about with LeBron out there is like, you know, last night he didn't even play, but I wanted to watch some of that game to see Laker fans actually booing Paul George. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> which, which, by the way, it's funny because, you know, in, on the East Coast, you know, New York and Philly, like, Boston, you know, that's expected. I, I didn't expect, and, and maybe I don't know the fan base as well, I didn't expect that to be the way it was. Did that surprise you? Not at all. I, I think the Lakers fan base, I can't speak to other L.A. franchises, and I understand the reputation that L.A. fans have, and it has been well-deserved over many years. Laker fans are insane. Maybe it's just because there's so many of us that, like, the people who actually get in the building, especially on those nights where, you know, it, it's a little different this year because prices have gone up with LeBron and all that. But, like, people are really into this team and have been for the last couple of years, even post-Kobe. And so him kind of... I don't know. I don't want to say spurn. I mean, he didn't owe the Lakers anything, really. Right. But, but you know, there was, there was a chant at the end. I don't know if you guys caught this, but he got um, – him or someone else got flagrantly fouled. Or he shot a technical foul. That's what it was. And he's at the free throw line. And just this impromptu, we don't need you chant. <laughs> no, as, I did as, hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we're down by like 12 points with a minute left, right? Like, and just totally <laughs> – whipped us right he scored 37 on us and so he shoots his free throw and then does like a bow afterwards he like curtsied or something like you know and so this fan base is very much this is a very passionate fan base yeah no i mean well even you know i guess you're right i shouldn't be surprised because even with lebron i mean if there's one fan base in the entire nba who wouldn't be completely open arms top to bottom about them, <laughs> right it's you know there's laker fans that were you know still giving them a hard time so so no i i hear that but um but no i guess i sidetracked myself with, with that but what i was really going to ask is since a lot of knicks fans don't get to see the lakers on a nightly basis um and you know we're playing tomorrow night i mean is there anything i mean other than the, the obvious storylines everyone gets to see you know what lebron's doing and and, um, you know, even Lonzo Ball, I mean, is there any other, I guess, players that, that have interested you or just kind of, I guess, observations that we could look out for that would be kind of neat to see from a Laker perspective, things you guys have been talking about, um, just to kind of help fans as they're watching the game tomorrow? So I don't want to patronize Knicks fans and acting like I know a lot about the Knicks, uh, but one of the frequent themes with, you know, like with a guy like uh like like Ennis Cantor, right? You know, he's difficult has difficulty in the pick and roll, right? The Lakers are a very you you, you could put it more uh, harshly than that. We we trust me, we've uttered many curses on this podcast about <laughs> Ennis Cantor's pick and roll defense. Yeah, so. you, you know, I, I got to remember who I'm talking. My my dad's side of the family, all of them are from Brooklyn, and so <laughs> I, I have to realize you guys are not quite as delicate as the people I am used to talking to. No, so yeah, Cantor not. sucks defending in the pick and roll, right? There you go. And, the Lakers do not have guys who score particularly well out of the pick and roll. This is actually a game that I'm worried about with the Lakers being as shorthanded as they are. Kyle Kuzma went out of la uh, yesterday's game. He's questionable for tomorrow with a back contusion, with LeBron out, with Rondo out. The Lakers don't have much in the way of, of ball handling or guys who can kind of get their own shot. Because the thing about a guy like Lonzo, right, is he can pass and he can push the ball right, but he's not – like the way the defenses defend Lonzo and rightfully so is proof to us that you can score. You guys probably see that with Frank too, in terms of how coverages work, right? Oh yes. And 
the Lakers don't really Ingram is a guy who can do that to an extent. I really don't like how they deploy Ingram. That's a rant for a, another show for another day. But uh, I, I do think that this is a game that the Lakers uh, they could have some trouble capitalizing on on what the Knicks don't do particularly well on the defensive end. Yeah, well, in fact, it's actually interesting because my next video coming out is on the Knicks pick and roll defense because what happened was the first game that they replaced Cantor with Luke Cornett at center was probably the game they got blitzed the most in the pick and roll because they were going against Utah and, and Gobert. And what I've realized is Cantor in itself is his own problem, but the Knicks are so bad at just their guards and wings stopping penetration without you don't even have to run any action to get a guy's space. You can literally just have a guy go one-on-one and dribble right past him. And then they don't do any secondary things. Tag in the when they try to prevent that penetration. And it's just like as bad as Cantor is, we got to see in this, in a small sample size that even with another center in there, there just isn't enough pieces around that know enough about where to be and, you know, helping the helper in the right spot. Just that, that, that secondary rotation off the initial action, they just aren't there yet. So what you're just saying about, I guess, you know, how the Lakers are being a little banged up for tomorrow is interesting because you're saying, well, geez, these guys really can't beat guys one-on-one. Well, that's that's sort of the area the Knicks struggle against. And then, like you said, with the with the pick and roll defense. So I guess it will be two kind of meek teams maybe tomorrow. <laughs> the to stoppable force against the movable ob- object. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah, L- Lakers Knicks. How far we've fallen. Um, <laughs> so um, I was gonna I was gonna ask you if you think Brandon Ingram uh, long term is a point guard, but you said don't don't get into that because that's probably an hour long podcast in itself. No, uh, I mean I, I think he's more of a wing. I, I think he's been used as I think he's a guy that views himself as like an all star or a future all star as gotcha. a, a as a the man type of guy, but he doesn't have the skill set to be able to do that at this point. He's got too many flaws in his shooting mechanics and in his footwork to be able to extend that beyond the three point line. And you have to be a monster. You gotta be a Giannis type of guy yeah. to be a number one option without too much of a three-point shot in today's era so I, I think he's more of a like he's been really good on the defensive end this year when he's off of the ball he's a lot more efficient uh so that's my big complaint in how the Lakers use him they use him way too much as an on-ball guy so that's actually a perfect transition to to my last question um and I'll, I'll preface this by saying the thing that I probably find most challenging in just interacting with with fans who have like questions and comments and things is criticism of the head coach. Uh, in our case, it's David Fisdale. And I guess my issue with it is, you know, Fisdale's a guy who appeared on, you know, I don't know how many consecutive uh, lists. I think it was, it's Arnovitz or Pelton put out the, you know, the hottest uh, guys who aren't head coaches yet uh, that will soon get a chance. Before Fisdale got his first shot in Memphis, he was on that list a few times, widely respected around the league. And, you know, fans question him sometimes as if he is someone that walked off the street and was given a clipboard and said, here we go. (laughs) And I, and, but at the same time, I then wonder if I'm being too deferential because he is the person with the job. And I just assume that he, you know, has a, a certain requisite knowledge or whatever the case may be. So now my question to you is, 
you have a guy in, in Luke Walton who I think, like Fisdale, is has been fairly universally uh, well regarded around the the league, and obviously you know uh, Jeannie Buss seems to be a fan. Um, I how do you deal with the inevitable complaints that come from you know intelligent Laker fans that that are questioning things that that he does, or even maybe you yourself questioning things that he does? You know, it's something that again it goes into the specifics. I try to not you know imbue someone with a negative or positive in terms of their overall ability unless they're really good like Byron Scott was a really bad coach and I had no problem saying that in no uncertain terms just like everybody else or most everyone else Luke Walton has his strengths and has his weaknesses they've become more illuminated over the course of time now that the stakes are a little bit higher with with that um I I do think there's room for discussion for like with a guy like Luke there isn't somebody else out there that I would prefer to have but does the lack of player development. So Lakers don't have a shooting coach. That's like one thing, right? That's totally a valid criticism. Be like, why the hell can this team that's last in the NBA in free throw shooting, who has these young players who their biggest issue when you drafted them was, well, yeah, let's see if we can get them to be able to shoot from either the line or from, from three. Why is there not, why are there not specialists working with them? Especially, and this is something that I'm sure Knicks fans can relate to from an organizational standpoint, Teams like the Knicks and the Lakers, there are places outside of the salary cap where you can have the best assistant coaches, best shooting coaches, best analytics department, best hot dog vendors, all of that, right? Like, <laughs> you, sh- you should, in those markets, have those things, right? Yep. And so certain things like that, like what is all of Luke's assistant coaches pretty much are his buddies from Arizona. Did the Lakers get the best guys in that? And now I ask some of that from a point of ignorance, but I do think there are fair questions to ask while acknowledging Luke is great with personalities. He's been somebody that's been able to handle a lot of roster turnover, which is likely what Fisdale is going to have to deal with over the course of the next couple of years. So to to me, I I try to have a nuanced take on that as best as I can. I I think that's probably the best, uh, the best approach you could have. Um, listen, Pete, uh, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. I know you have a ton going on out there, um, you know, with everything that you do. And I just, you know, (laughs) I want to say thanks because it's like, as we've alluded to on Twitter and social media, there's like the bad conversation that happens and then there's the good stuff. And I think you are a a kind of like a bright, shining example of like the best that's out there and the reason why in this you know social media age that we live in it really is an opportunity for everybody's uh, you know intelligence quotient about this stuff to be uh, like everybody's can rise um if if we're having like the right kinds of conversations and like highlighting the right things so um thanks not only for coming on the pod but for for all that you do as well no i i really appreciate that you know and and keep doing what you're doing jb in in terms of the film work and and just like you said jonathan these conversations like there is that nasty side of social media, but the ability for everybody to have their voices heard, there's some meritocracy in that, like, you listen to somebody and be like, hey, this this person at least is on the right track. It's not even necessarily about being right or wrong, but do I respect their process and how they go about do they have that intellectual curiosity? And just even this conversation here, like I, I can tell that's something that, that you guys have. And any guy, anytime you want to have me on, I, I've had a blast. Thank you. Well, Hi, um, yeah, thank, thanks. Yeah, no. and what I, I'll, I'll say, I won't uh, embarrass you, but it's funny when I'm having like a little slump, it's, I guess it's not writer's block because we're, we're doing film, 
but I actually will pull up your YouTube channel and I'm using this as a way to, to plug here at the end that people, people should go subscribe to Laker film room on YouTube, but I'll actually pull up your YouTube channel and I don't care if it's a video from, you know, two years ago, I'll just pull it up and start watching stuff because it's amazing. You know, I used to just write non-basketball stuff and whenever I couldn't write, I would pick up a book of someone I liked as a writer and you just start reading and then somehow it just kind of comes to you. But that's what I do on, on your YouTube channel where I would just start watching some old videos and then hopefully something something clicks. Like I said, I'll, I'll say it more as a means to, to promote that people should go subscribe to your channel because even if you're not a Laker fan, if you're just watching those videos and, and there's so many people that will reach out to me and on Twitter and message me and say, you know, how do I learn more about the game? Well, the way you learn is to go to, you know, Coach Daniels, another good one. Yeah, go to these channels, much, yeah. just watch these videos over and over. It doesn't even have to matter about the teams. And that, and that that's how you're really going to learn. So, again, appreciate kind of the, the path you've paved. There's a lot of film rooms out there now, and I think you really led the way. Um, so, yeah, thanks again, and, and hopefully we can we, – I guess it's like March when Nick's Lakers again, so we'll make sure we, we we'll, do this again. We'll do it. Yeah, no, we'll do it then. And I was going to say when, when the Knicks, um, you know, K, KD and KP and Zion face off in the 2020, <laughs> in the 2020 finals against LeBron and Anthony Davis and whatever's left of the young Lakers, uh, you know, that June, we'll, we'll, we'll do this a nightly thing then. You, you know what, fellas? I'm actually, I'll do you one better. I'm actually going to be, I've never been to Madison Square Garden before, and I'm going to be in New York for the Knicks Lakers game. So, oh, word. Yeah, let's grab a beer or something while I'm out there. Well, yeah, definitely. We, we'll we drink. We, we drink a lot. Um, thanks in part uh, to the Knicks. Um, yeah, and, oh, right, man, I've been there. Last five years were not good for my for my liver at all. <laughs> all right, good. That's a that's a promise. We'll definitely get that done. Um, Pete, again, thank you so much uh, for joining. Uh, JB, anything you want to say before we sign off? No, I think I think we're good. Okay, great. Uh, of course, thank you out there for tuning into another episode of uh, the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, and yeah, we will be with you for another episode. Um, I think we're recording something either during the weekend or the beginning of next week, but there's always one drop in around the corner. Um, and, uh, Pete, I would wish you luck tomorrow night, but the Knicks need a win desperately. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no harm. Like I said, I'm talking to New Yorkers. I get it. I know how it goes. <laughs> All right. Uh, everybody be well out there. We'll talk to you soon.